0: Welcome to Fur What It's Worth. Wait, wait, we're doing this thing? An introduction to and exploration of the furry fandom.
1: I just want you to know that you're all perverts. I don't know what I'm doing here.
2: Quality, it's not in our name. No, it's Fur What It's Worth.
3: I'm an innocent fox here.
2: To compensate you, here
0: are two fools, Root and Tugs.
4: Actually, you guys are still alive.
5: Oh. Woo! So we are alive. So... I want to see you fix this approach. Ooh,
3: welcome to our special spoopy Halloween special! <laughs> welcome, welcome. This is
0: so much worse because right now we don't have music what? in the background. So, it's so just That's me just, echoing. I, just, I know it sounds fine now, but like, you know... it just sounds odd as a cold open you're welcome you're welcome oh my eyes so
3: what are we doing today tugs
0: sitting on our uh, i mean uh the episode for halloween it's time we have uh lots of stories for you today um and we know that that's really what you're here for but first you must pay you must pay your penance by listening to us talk for five minutes before all that
3: so tugs what have you been up to
0: um, well I went out of town and that was uh it was interesting. I had my goodbye to Tower of Terror and it was hard. It
3: was, how was how many did you how many times did you ride it?
0: 1. Only the one? line was like 3 hours. <sighs> nobody nobody who I asked, and I made sure not to ask just by the ride thought that that was a good idea to kill that ride. Nobody. So I don't think anyone from Disney who can change this is listening, but if you are, change your mind.
3: Yeah, I 100 percent agree. I mean, um, I believe that the Tower of Terror has become an iconic ride where it's almost like, oh, let's get rid of the teacups. Let's get I mean, I'm not a saying classic. that the tea, teacups is iconic, but they let's are, get though. let's get rid of the um, the haunted mansion. Let's, let's get, get rid, rid of, of the castle. Yeah, let's get rid of the castle, or let's get rid of um, Space Mountain. If any one of those were to go, like...
0: Oh, people would flip.
3: I know, but it's. It, I think it's at that level where it's that iconic. Yeah. Now, yes, the location of where they have it in the back lot is terrible. Okay, put more things next to it. Yeah,
0: they, they, there's workarounds, but it was hard. It was like going to a funeral, actually. <sighs> it was sad uh we actually had a gold fast pass so we got to skip the line and just go really yeah and they had it in what they called late checkout mode so the lights never turned on it was it was different
3: so so why didn't you just go like multiple multiple times because it's a single use oh yeah
0: um that was so sad Hmm. sad um what am i doing in the gaming world uh oh yeah well we've been playing quiplash with the telegram group there's for what it's worth edition quiplash now I think it's fantastic.
3: I think it is too. You you do an amazing job. Finally, i mean, making all those questions. I
0: know. I'm running out of ideas. Woo! Um, and no, just just relaxing. Just trying to stay sane. Um, I'm annoyed that places like Best Buy put up their Christmas advertising now.
3: Oh yeah, I saw a commercial from Target the other day, and I almost flipped my shit. Like seriously, it was terrible. Like. Don't don't do that.
0: Halloween is not over. Like, are we going to just start doing Christmas all year? Is that really what it is? Make it special. Do it all the time.
3: Well, I I just I just don't get why they can why they don't just hold off. Like, focus on the Halloween. I mean, focus on Halloween right now. Focus on Thanksgiving. You know, but why do you? I mean, at least wait until after Halloween. At least wait until after Halloween.
0: Halloween Halloweener. Anywho. Yeah, what about you? What have you been up to?
3: So I have been doing a lot of suiting events. Um, let's see, I went to Abravanol Hall um, with a couple of friends of mine, and I actually got to see Alex Curie at, um, from the Nightside Project. Did he there. come up to you? Uh, no, he was just down, down on, the stage on the stage and stuff, you stuff like that. Okay. But he was handing out prizes and doing a costume contest. One of the funniest ones was uh, a group, a family, um, pretended like they had, they were sitting in a ride, uh-huh. and like had fake legs and stuff like that, and they would pretend like they're going down a roller coaster type thing, but that was that was pretty hilarious. Um, I've also been helping out with a couple of other um, projects, like for example, strut your mutt, in which we had a group of um, group of furries get together. Explain to, strut your mutt. Um so strut your mutt um helps raise money for an organization called no more no more homeless pets. So um we ended up helping raise around oh it doesn't matter. I don't want to Charity quote um, the numbers but um we definitely helped raise some money for them and it was a fun experience. There's a lot of um, a lot of dogs there. I had to. I was a handler actually, um, so I had to help protect some of the suitors and make sure that they didn't get into too much trouble there. But overall, it was uh, a great experience. So, yeah.
0: So are you gonna take a break? Yeah, from sure. From suiting. Oh, wait, are our... you gonna stop? A... You're gonna not suit for a while?
3: Yes. No, 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 no. I'm not gonna take a take a break from suiting by no means. <laughs> I I love suiting. In fact, I'm actually getting a brand new head for Rue, so that's where are you getting that? Who's making it? That's going to be coming. Um, Secret Bunny Studios is doing that, Mm. um, helping me out with that. So, Um, so yeah, we're excited.
0: So, I think we shall be doing this.
2: Will he reuse another one is he ready is he going to bed with pastries again it's ruse cookie time not sponsored by betty crocker
3: yay another cookie time all right biting into that cookie
5: okay
3: these are so good those okay.
0: are really good like as much as they're full of shit diggery, they're really good
3: oh yeah they're great cookies Uh, They they taste like, instead of like the waxy, like, fake taste, it actually tastes like a homemade cookie. Um, Okay, so this is what the cookie says. War is never the solution. Unless you want other people's land and resources. In bed with the cookie. (laughs)
0: Alright, we are ready for spoopy. I'm glad that you remembered that from last year, by the way. Spoopy Halloween stories. So we changed it up. Normally we have. What'd you call him last year?
3: I didn't even realize that we're back. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, what do you call him? We had a Therum. Therum? Therum?
3: Yes, we had a Therumum. Therum. A Therum.
0: Hold on, I got this school. Yeah, Therum, but you kept calling him Mr. Therum. You did call him. You called you like. You like made this odd instrument like a person. It was really funny. Normally we bring in uh, live music and all that stuff, but we decided to make it your problem. So we asked people in our telegram chat if they'd help us out by reading everyone's stories because let's be honest, our voices are boring. Yeah. Nobody wants to hear from us anymore. Yeah, I know. They're like, give us the good shit. (laughs) So we we have farmed our workout. And guess what? You guys did it.
3: Yay. Yay. It, no, it really, I want to let you guys know. Thank you so much. Uh, I know that a lot of people um, put in a lot of time to make sure that this episode happened and we couldn't have done it without you guys. So our first story.
0: Wait, I need to thank them properly.
3: Oh, okay. <clears throat> Woo!
0: You guys are awesome.
3: Yay. Okay.
0: All right. Well, that there. hold on. There was one extra guy clapping at the end. What? (laughs) What? You know how there's like the guy who always likes to do the last clap, like when an audience is like... Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, that was me. (laughs) All right, sorry, you were saying our first story?
3: Yes. Our first story is the... uh, Okay, I do have to point this out. A lot of these stories (laughs) didn't have titles. I love you guys but when you write a story, please, please put a title. So, our
0: first story's made up title is.
3: So, our first story is Halloween Story
0: from. Mafalme.
3: You put Mafalme yeah. Lion. And it's also voiced by Mafalme Lion.
6: Well now, old rue he didn't believe in ghosts. Not one bit. Everyone in town knew the old log cabin back in the woods was haunted, but Rue just laughed whenever folks talked about it. Finally, Tugs dared Rue to spend the night in the haunted log cabin. If he stayed there until dawn, Tugs would buy him a whole cartload of oatmeal raisin cookies, Rue's favorite. Rue was delighted. Cookies were his absolute favorite food. He accepted the dare at once, packed some matches and his pipe, and went right over to the log cabin to spend the night. Rue went in the old log cabin, started a fire, lit his pipe, and settled into a rickety old chair with yesterday's newspaper. As he was reading, he heard a creaking sound. Looking up, A gnarled little creature with glowing red eyes had taken a seat beside him. It had a long forked tail, two horns on its head, claws at the end of its hands, and sharp teeth that poked right through its large lips. There ain't nobody here tonight except you and me, said the creature to Old Rue. It had a voice, like the hiss of flames. Rue's heart nearly stopped with fright. He leapt to his feet. There ain't going to be nobody here but you in a minute, Rue told the gnarled creature. He leapt straight for the nearest exit, which happened to be the window, and hightailed it down the lane lickety-split. He ran so fast he overtook two rabbits being chased by a coyote. But it wasn't long before he heard the pounding of little hooves. The gnarled creature with red eyes caught up with him. You're making pretty good speed for an old man, said the creature to Rue. Oh I can run much faster than this, Rue told it. He took off like a bolt of lightning, leaving the gnarled creature in the dust. As he ran past Tugs' house, Tugs stuck his head out of the window to see what was wrong. Never mind about them cookies, Roo shouted to Tugs without breaking a stride. Old Roo ran all the way home and hid under his bed for the night. After that, he was a firm believer in ghosts and spooks, and he refused to go anywhere near the old cabin in the woods.
7: Special thanks to the Fur What It's Worth crew, Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, fancy notebooks and fountain pens for inspiration to create such a stupid Halloween story. I hope I never write such a dumb thing ever again. Hi, it's Miski, here to read out Two Fools Go Camping, or I Have No Idea How To Properly Name A Spooky Story, written by Rive the Rat. The sun was setting on the chilly town of Wisconsin, Texas. That October day turned out to be pretty cold, and everyone was hurrying to get into the warmth of their homes as soon as possible, except for two fools called Roo and Tugs. It's high time for a picnic, said the puppy bear excitedly, as he walked along the road that led outside the city into the woods. I know just the right spot in the forest for us to camp at, have some sleep and do spooky Halloween stuff. I hope you're right, replied Roo grumpily, annoyed not only by the fact that he had to carry the bigger backpack, but also because he forgot to take his cookie bag along. But Tugs wasn't paying attention to the fox's grumbling. He was too excited to be finally out of the city and having fun autumn time camping, even in this cold weather. The two finally walked off the road and started going through the forest. As they ventured deeper and deeper, The sky turned darker and darker, and the wind grew stronger and stronger. Are you sure this was a good time to pick for such a trip? Roo asked. I thought the weather wouldn't be as windy as it is now, replied the blue rascal. We should probably hurry until it gets too dark. The walk continued until the two finally got onto a small, cozy glade. You could feel the beauty of that place, even in the dark. A tiny pond was reflecting the clear sunset sky, and the faint circle of the full moon. The tall grass was nodding with the wind, and the depressing darkness of the woods was gone, replaced instead by a nice chilly evening glow. Sure, their phones weren't getting any signal there, and they weren't going to stream any cartoons or music for the night, but hey, it's part of the charm, right? Here! exclaimed Tugs, this is the place I was talking about, let's set up camp here. The two dropped their bags on the soft grass and started to unpack. Just as they got their paws on their tent, an ominous wind arose. At first it was like a light breeze, but soon it burst into a hurricane, roaring like a wild beast and tearing the tent out of the fuzzy camper's grip, and took it away back into the forest. Roo and Tugs gave chase. "'Come back!' shouted Roo as he ran in the hopes of grasping the rebellious piece of metal and cloth. But it wasn't coming back. Maybe it dreaded the idea of housing someone inside itself, or maybe it was just bored with its life in the closet. Just as the tent was about to start a new beginning as a free-roaming adventurous sail, it flew into a tree and got torn apart by sharp sharp branches. When Rue and Hugs caught up, the tent was looking less a place to stay in during the night, and more like a collection of extra-large handkerchiefs wrapped around long metal pegs. Oh, wow! They said both the unlucky campers in unison. Obviously, there was no way they could stay in the open for the night. The cold wind stopped for a while, but a new problem arose. It was starting to rain. What do we do now? asked Tugs. I don't know for sure, but we really need somewhere to hide from the rain before we become soggy, exclaimed Roo in reply. The sky got even darker as the fox and puppy bear walked deeper into the forest in hopes of finding somewhere to stay. Suddenly the light started start to shine far in the distance. Hey, do you see that? exclaimed Rue. Looks like we're not alone, said Tugs. I guess someone is camping here too. Let's go and ask for some help. Maybe they have some cover from the rain. But as they were approaching the light. They were starting to doubt their expectations and soon got disappointed. It wasn't a campfire, but an old oil lamp, illuminating a deteriorating front porch of a moody-looking, desolate cabin, standing by a large crag. The interior, though, was pitch black. No one was to be seen inside or out. Hello? Tugs shouted as he approached the front porch. We're two campers. We'd like to stay inside until the rain stops, and then we'll go away. Is anyone there? Hello? But nobody answered. The rain was still going strong, and the two unlucky adventurers weren't too keen on staying outside in such awful weather. Hey, Tugs, said Rue. I don't think anyone would mind if we stayed in there for a while. Let's just go inside. As they were discussing their further actions, a strange roar arose from behind, and the strange cold wind started to blow again. It didn't sound threatening at first. But as it grew stronger, the sound got louder and louder. Suddenly the ground started to shake and the trees in the distance were falling as if they smashed by something large and heavy. The fuzzy campers turned around and saw a couple of giant horrifying eyes flashing with red. Without a second thought, they both kicked the door of the cabin and ran inside, screaming in terror. It was pitch dark in there. Rue reached for his flashlight and turned it on, only to get even more horrified. It turns out that the cabin wasn't the cosiest place to stay in. The interior was filled with animal skeletons, bunches of dry grass, and rotting flesh. The floor was smeared with blood, and the only places that weren't coated with red were covered with torn books and paper. There was a horrible stench coming from everywhere, making the poor fox sick and dizzy. What was that? back in the woods? Where are we? Rue whispered with a trembling voice. Is this a killing house? Did someone perform sacrifices here to open the gates of hell? What are those weeds? Dunno, the puppy bear replied, shaking from the sight, but I bet it's not the kind hippies would smoke. The horrifying wind kept blowing. The windows were rattling from what seemed to be steps of a giant, heavy being wandering through the forest nearby. The glowing eyes were nowhere to be seen, but the couple wasn't going to leave that hellish cabin any time soon. Let's find a place to hide from this thing, said Rue. What in here? asked Tugs. There should be a cellar, or something. The entrance is probably somewhere in one of these rooms. The two started hastily searching the place. Tug's attention was drawn by a cleaner room in the back. There was a beautiful antique dark wooden table standing inside. Its legs were decorated with carvings of dragons and drawers were inscribed with strange shapes that looked like rooms from an ancient alphabet. Tugs lit up the tabletop with his torch. It was littered with strange papers filled with drawings and weirdly formulated sentences, as if someone was trying to translate from a dead language. To the left, on a wooden plate, there lay a round green stone. Its muted emerald glow was what caught Tugs's attention in the first place. "'Hey, Roo, check this out!' exclaimed the puppy bear. "'It's some sort of magic recipe that involves dragons, "'and it also looks like it can let you become huge by using...' But he couldn't finish. Suddenly the walls of the cabin shattered, sending everything inside flying, hitting Rue and knocking tugs out with a wooden plank. The creature outside heard the blue campers loud excitement and knew where it had to strike. Rue tried to get up, but as he raised his head, he couldn't get himself to move further. A huge scaly black dragon was trying to reach the unconscious puppy bear with its mouth. The fox tried to stand up again, but his paw slipped on something cold and he fell again. He looked at the floor and saw the green stone that Tugs had discovered. He grabbed it and was about to throw it into the beast's face when suddenly he felt a strange sensation in his body. His limbs got heavier as if they were made of lead. His head felt dizzy, as if it was about to burst open, and his heart was beating as if it wanted to explode. And then, his tail started rapidly growing, bursting out of his pants, while his whole body felt like it was swelling up, only to get larger and larger. The sneakers Rue was wearing popped and flew apart, ripped by the enormous paws, and his fingers and toes grew longer, with blade-sharp claws bursting outside. His muzzle changed proportions too, getting an aggressive, feral look to it, and the teeth in his mouth got sharp and deadly. Rue's eyes glowed green, just like the stone that had triggered the whole process. The dragon was about to swallow tugs as it got interrupted by a powerful kick in its teeth. Not gonna happen, said the giant fox as he stood up, dismantling the remains of the cabin around him. Swiftly, he grabbed the unconscious puppy bear and hid him in a nearby tree that survived the whole ordeal. He also managed to get a look at the beast that attacked him. It was a giant, black, bipedal, dragon-like animal with glowing red eyes. Its paws were armed with sharp claws, ready to rip through anything they touch. His head was surrounded by a large, scaly hood, and his breath had an awful, rotting stench. It was a beast ready to hunt whatever it deemed necessary for it to feast on, and after receiving a kick in the face, it got really mad. With a wild, haunting screech, the black animal tackled Roo, sinking its teeth into his left shoulder, trying to drag the fox down. The wine-red giant returned the favour by stomping its knee, causing the beast to let go and shoving it away. He checked his shoulder, it was flaming and bleeding, but he could still fight, no problem. The dragon didn't give up. It rose and swiftly bashed the fox, sending him flying into the trees, which crumbled like matches under his weight. Rue's head felt dizzy from such an impact. The beast wasn't done. It grabbed the fox's leg with its sharp claws, pulling him closer, and then it swiped at his chest, leaving deep bloody scratches. Without hesitating, it then hit Rue from in the head with its front paws, and it did it again and again, trying to knock him out. The fox tried to defend himself while trying to lean on his right arm to get himself some balance. The dragon wouldn't allow this to happen, throwing more painful punches to his stomach and face, keeping him pinned down, roaring and screeching with fuming hatred. Rue couldn't hear it, his ears were buzzing from the continuous bashing on his head. As the wild animal aimed for his chest, Preparing for its fatal blow, Rue's right hand got a hold of something sharp, a broken metal pole from the tent that was blown away earlier. With his last strength, Rue thrust the pole into the dragon's right eye. The black be- beast screeched in pain and backed off, erratically swinging its paws, paws around itself. Rue slowly stood up. His vision was blurry from all the hits he received in the head. His leg was badly injured and bleeding. But he didn't care and limped towards the devilish being. He punched it in the face and knocked it down. Under the dragon's weight, the ground shook and the crag underneath shattered into smaller rocks. Rue picked one up. He knew that the only way to stop the animal was to kill it. He rose the boulder and smashed it right into the dragon's head with a battle cry again and again until all that was left was a bloody mush of bone and brains. The sun was slowly rising from the horizon, painting the sky a beautiful warm pink. Rue was waking up, bothered by a horrified cry coming from a tree. Roochie boy, the puppy bear screamed. What the hell is going on? Where am I? Well, where is that shack? Why are you naked and all bloody and bruised? It can wait. Let's get you out of this tree and go home, Rue replied. As the two were going home, the fox told Tugs the story in full. At first the puppy bear wouldn't believe it, but after remembering about the demolished crag and the crushed trees back in the wood, he realised it was true indeed. Now that they were slowly going back home, they had to come up with a realistic explanation of how they lost their their tent, Rue's clothes, and why half the forest was demolished in the night. But that is a story for another day. The
0: end. That was the wonderful sounds of Two Fools Go Camping by Rive the Rat here on 89 Classic FM. And by the way, Miski did the voice work for that story. <laughs> Coming up next, we'll hear from Rivka, the fox and his halloween stories voiced by sophie who was our guest in a previous episode keep a tune to fwiw fm for more spooky stories
8: halloween stories by rifka fox voiced by diamondia doodle back when i was a much younger critter my mother would hand make costumes for my oldest sister my two younger brothers and myself When we were very small they would be simple designs, like fall vegetables for my second Halloween, bugs for my third Halloween, monsters for my fourth, and so on and so forth. It was my seventh Halloween where this story takes place. This particular year my mother had made us all duck costumes. We were all ducks, four ducks quacking along to gather candy door to door. It was October in New England in the early 1980s, before the effects of global warming took a major toll. This meant that there was actual snow and ice waiting for all the trick-or-treaters on the streets. This is not an uncommon thing for New England. There was the 2011 Halloween storm that killed 11, or the 1991 Halloween storm that took the lives of 12 people. And of course, who could forget the blizzard of 78, my first real snowstorm? But this isn't a story about snowstorms, it's my Halloween story. So where was I? Right. Ducks. So yes, us four ducklings were ready to make our first visit. It was to a family friend's house who'd helped mother with the costumes this year. So we wanted to show them off. The house had large rolling hills in the front, and my older sister decided to go quacking up the snow-covered hill, leaving webbed footprints in the fresh snow. The snow had a thin layer of ice at the top of the hill. She fell and broke her arm, there was no trick-or-treating for us that year. It was spent in the hospital, waiting for my sister's arm to be set. It sucked. The end.
9: Written by Joshua Dillon Read by Zugazalad The muffled sound of rapid steps wafted through the little hamlet. Flickers of light danced through the streets as the little rabbit rushed quickly, trying not to extinguish the torch he was using to light his way. His breath was fevered, his mind clouded with heavy thoughts. The waning half-moon shone on the thatched rooftops, patched with snow. Various eyes peered through the shutters as the young friar made his way to the chapel to fetch the vicar. The midwives were explicit that he was to go nowhere else and to make sure that he came straight back with him. Winter had been late in coming this year, so the first snowfall was still fresh on the land, just taking the warmth of fall with it and leaving a crisp air filling the night. As the young friar approached the chapel, Thick plumes of breath escaped from the panting rabbit. Slowing just enough to catch his breath, he opened the door. It was no surprise that the hall was empty at this late hour. His furred feet made little noise as he hurried across to the back room, hoping to find the vicar. He was there. The old badger was sitting behind the desk, with his hands folded, head bowed, speaking inaudibly. Vicar! He blurted out, startling the old badger. "'What is it, my child?' he inquired worriedly, between gasps of air. "'The midwives! They sent me to fetch you! The Macrids! Wouldn't tell me! You need to come right away!' The vicar knew that Mother Macrid had a difficult pregnancy, so this didn't bode well for anyone. He was up and on his way with the young rabbit to the Macrid's warren without getting his coat, praying the whole way. As they approached the house, they happened upon a celebration, one that always followed a successful birthing, quiet yet cheerful. There were a few concerned looks from family members as the vicar and the young friar approached. It is a blessed day, is it not, vicar? Said a joyful voice from the crowd. Before the vicar had a chance to respond, another voice spoke up. A healthy kit is always a blessing, she said with a gleeful tone of youth beaming through. Yes, it is a blessing, the old badger responded, just loud enough so that he might be heard throughout the crowd. The young rabbit friar was close behind the vicar as they made their way into the house, heading to the back room where the parents and the midwives were.
4: Greetings,
9: vicar, young friar. What brings you here at this late tower? Questioned Old Cooney. Just here to give blessing on the child and pray over the parents. Also, showing the friar some more duties as is to perform. Well, may both of you be blessed for your caring service. The vicar looked down at the friar at his side and cocked an eyebrow. Oh, uh, and, and a blessing on you as well for your devotion and kindness. Well said, the badger complimented with a smile to the young rabbit, who tried not to show it but he was blushing from the comment. Clearing his mind, the young friar followed the vicar as they entered the back room and closed the door behind him. It was nervously quiet. The emotions were palpable and varied. He noticed as he headed towards the parents they were not the ones holding the child. The midwives were still huddled in the corner by the fireplace. He placed his hands on the mother and father. In greeting, they looked up to him and asked, is, is he okay? They told us he is fine, and they want you to be here. Please, tell us he is all right. The vicar fixed them with a caring look and prayed over them. Fear not. Take strength. The Lord does not give us anything more than we are able to handle. You have no reason to worry. If anything was wrong, the midwives would have told you so. Be joyous. You have brought a new life into this world. They took comfort and softly embraced each other. Thank you, vicar, the father said quietly as the old badger and friar headed over to the corner where the midwives were still huddled, talking in hushed tones. He exchanged calm eye contact with those who were watching as he drew close. One of the elder midwives turned and saw him. She hushed the rest and turned to greet him. Vicar? She said as he came up to them. Taking one of his hands in both of hers, she drew him in and whispered. He is healthy, but we are not sure what to do or even how to tell the family. Please, tell me you know what to do do not worry daughter for all things are for his glory if he is alive and healthy there is nothing that can sour this day we hope so vicar please see to him we don't know what to do all right thank you for helping bring this life into the world he said as he slid between the rest of the women the younger wet nurse of the group was feeding the child and as he came upon her, she quickly covered herself and removed the boy, wrapping him back up and handing him to the vicar. He took the kit from her as she finished making herself decent. She averted her eyes, ears pinned back in what the vicar assumed was embarrassment at being seen like that. There is no need to be ashamed, my child. There is nothing wrong with nursing a newborn, the old badger assured her. Yes, vicar, she grimaced as she said still averting eye contact and holding her shawl tightly around herself. As he moved the blanket from the child's face, he knew why she was so distraught. His heart froze and sank into his stomach. His eyes went blank, not knowing what to make of what he was holding. After a moment that lasted what felt like a lifetime, he was able to find his breath again. Inhaling with a shudder, he steeled himself and started for the parents. He simply walked, not noticing that the rest of the family was making way for him. He carefully focused on the parents. They were the ones who were going to have the harder time with what he held in his arms. As he approached, the old badger looked down at the child. He stilled his breath as to not startle the newborn and handed him back to his mother. The old badger turned and walked towards the fireplace. As he approached, He ripped his tunic from neck to belly. He stooped down, picked up a handful of smoldering ash, and placed it on his head. The room went deathly silent. Picking himself back up, he headed to the door. The young rabbit stopped mid-stride. Seeing what just happened, he came close to question the old badger. What's wrong, vicar? The young friar asked. The vicar's response was quiet and drawn out. "'Stay with the family. Comfort them. See to your duty. I will see you back at the chapel.' He trailed off as he closed the door. The silence traveled like a wave as the vicar made his way out of the house. The partygoers took notice that he had torn his shirt and had ash on his head. Some of them hurried to the back room. A few, with ears laid flat or tucked tails, tried to question the vicar but received no response, merely a soft hand on the shoulder. In the back room, there was hurried whispers echoing between the small groups that had formed. A few soft cries could be heard as the young rabbit was trying to go about his duty of blessing the child and praying over the family. But he kept getting interrupted, not wanting to worry them. He assured everyone that all things will be made known in time. When the rabbit tried to take the child and bless and pray over him, The mother would not let go. She had a distant look in her eyes, which were coated with light tears. Obliging the mother, he simply laid his hands on the boy and prayed. As he did, he noticed that the child was rather small. Maybe that's what had everyone so upset. He kept his thoughts to himself as he laid his hands on the parents. They didn't seem as happy as he thought they should have. Having done what he was instructed to do, the young rabbit made his way back to the chapel to ask the vicar what was really, truly going on. When he got back to the chapel, the wind outside muffled any sound coming from inside. What the young friar found was a shock. When he opened the door to the parsonage, the vicar was crying, kneeling in front of the pulpit, beating his chest, wailing inaudible pleas. The young rabbit, taken aback by the sight, didn't know what to do. He ran over to the vicar, trying to console him. "'Vicar, what is wrong?' he said as he grabbed his arm. The vicar was shaking with sobs. "'Please, vicar, tell me what is going on! No one is telling me anything!' After some time of shuddering and bouts of deep breaths and coughing, the vicar spoke. I had long hoped that I would not live to see this come about and now that it is here, I am torn. Do I stay and help our people through this or do I desire to pass on so that I do not have to see the end? I don't know what you mean. The child was healthy, was he not? He was alive. I don't see the problem. The young rabbit said exasperated, not knowing what was going on. His response knocked the rabbit to the core. It is the end of our time in this world, my child. And this is the sign. The Macrid's newborn is feral. Happy Halloween. <laughs>
3: And that was A Cold Winter's Eve by Josh. And that was read by Zuka. Next up is Ruse Ruing. That's from also from Josh. And it's been read by Ranji.
4: Hello,
2: this is Ranji Patel. I hope everybody is having a wonderful day. I am here to be telling you a little bit of a story time. All right then, here we go. Federal sat atop his mountain of cookies, snarling, hoarding his treasure with greed that would shame a dragon. I had no choice. I didn't know what to do. I just knew it had to stop. Grave after grave after grave, I was getting tired of burying my friends, but they are my cookies. So, anyways, that is the story time. I hope you enjoyed it. Do not have any nightmares or anything. Uh, just one moment. Frozen is telling me I have to take a tech support call, so, uh, goodbye!
10: Squirrel King Theater presents Rue and Tugs in Attack of the Killer Nightshades, written by Smokescale Red by Buck Riley. It was dark on the night of Halloween. Tugs and Rue walked down the street with their sacks full of candy. It is a good night to be out tricking and treats, said Rue. And a good night to be a diepper, said Tugs. Just then, Scream flew out of bushes, and someone ran away too fast to see. Get out of here as fast as you can, they shouted. It's the deadly nightshades. Just then, big crash sound came from the bushes. The leaves and twigs and things were pushed her and out-hopped a giant tomato. It was big and round and red, and it was angry also. It made growls at the people on the sidewalk and stratted to hop at them. Tug shouted, Oh no! It is the deadly Night Shads! I hate them, he said, and frowned madly at them. What do we do now? asked Drew. Throw your candy at them, Tug shouted, and threw his bag of candy at them. But what about my cookies, Roo cried. Keep your cookies because you love them so much, but throw the rest of your candy or we will be eaten and turned into tomatoes too, Tug said, still throwing his bag of candy. He threw his bag of candy, and it hit the first tomato with a squish. He killed it. Tugs jumped and cheered, but the more tomatoes came and they had to run. Roo and Tugs ran down the street fast as their legs could go until they found Abandoned House. Quick, in here, Roo said. No, that's what they want you to do, Tugs said. But it was too late. Roo had run into the house. Tugs ran in after Roo and tried to make him leave, but the door closed behind him and locked. They were locked in! Look what you do, because you ran into the abandoned house. Now we are tapered, Tugs yelled. But now the Nitshides can't find us, Rue said with a smile. So they both sat down and started eating some of the candy that Roo had saved before throwing his bag. Just then, a green rope snaked out and wrapped around Rue. He yelled in surprise, no! But he was dragged away. Tugs tried to go after him, but it was too dark and he could not see because he did not have a fleshlight. So he started to creep around the house, very soft. Tugs went up the stairs to see what was on the next floor, but all he found was dust and old books and things. One of the books looked interesting to Tugs, picked it up to look inside. When he wasn't looking, Rue walked in from the dark place behind him and hissed. Tugs turned around really wick to see that Rue was now a tomato fox with big, sharp, pointy teeth and black eyes and long black hair that made him look evil. And he was holding something in his paw. You will join us or die, he said. Tug shouted, I'll never join you, and started to throw candy at Rue that he had been hiding in his dipper. Rue just laughed as the candy bunseed off him and walked closer. You cans not stop me! I am one with the evil Tomodios. Now you die! And Rue opened the bottle of catch up he was holding. He squeezed it at Tugs, and Tugs screamed! To be continued.
0: Welcome back to FWIWFM, the soft sounds of Halloween on a classical station that doesn't exist. You've just heard the sounds of Buck Riley reading Attack of the Killer Knight by Smokescale Aquatus, who also does our space news. We're gonna go ahead and take a break and give you that same space news right now. Stay tuned to FWIWFM for more spoopy stories.
3: Oh my gosh, you're so good.
11: Hailing frequencies open, Smokescale Aquatus here with another round of news for you. As of Thursday, October 20th, here are your space headlines. First up, Hurricane Matthew battered the American East Coast. Thankfully the worst of it did miss the Space Coast, so Canaveral didn't take as hard a hit as they feared. There was some damage, but not as bad as it could have been if the full force of the storm had hit. That being said, a lot of people have been displaced from their homes. People are without power, food, water, and the deaths of at least four people in Florida have been blamed on the storm. But in Haiti, more than a thousand people were killed. If you can provide relief, please do so. This isn't just an American issue or strictly related to the space program. It's a human issue. In spite of the storm, the Space Coast bounced back and hard. Orbital ATK has successfully returned to flight with their Antares rocket. The first stage's new RD-181 power plant did a fantastic job, putting the payload and second stage on course to the ISS. In fact, it did so well that the upper stage used less attitude control propellant than expected, meaning the whole vehicle performed even better than the launch team anticipated. The Cygnus resupply vehicle, the SS Allen Poindexter, named for the NASA shuttle pilot and commander who passed away in 2012 in a personal watercraft accident, is currently on its way to the station and should arrive with its cargo on October 23rd. Expedition 49 launched from Kazakhstan to the ISS yesterday, October 19th. You might remember that this flight was delayed due to an issue with the capsule, a damaged cable inside the crewed section. There was some debate over whether or not Roscosmos would delay the flight and use the next Soyuz coming down the assembly line while they repaired this one, or if they would attempt a riskier maneuver and fix this one on the pad and launch it. They chose the faster, if riskier, choice, and it looks like it paid off. Almost a month late, three new crew members are on their way aboard the newly designed Soyuz MS-02, and they are scheduled to dock on Friday, October 21st. Here's to a good six-month mission. Speaking of the Soyuz, NASA has declined to purchase any more seats on board the Russian launch vehicle for their astronauts, and even if they wanted to, it's a little bit too late now. Currently, NASA is pinning all its hopes on the Commercial Crew Program, with Boeing's CST-100 Starliner and SpaceX's Dragon Crew vehicles currently in development. They're putting so much stock in them that they're taking the chance to not fly on the Soyuz. Why is that such a big deal? It takes quite a while to build a Soyuz, and the seats have to be custom-built for each astronaut. And there's a two-year gap between ordering the parts for the ship and having it on the pad, ready to fly. That's partly why Roscosmos decided to go ahead with the internal repair on Expedition 49, rather than use the next one. And because there's so long-await, NASA has missed their opportunity to buy seats on another Soyuz for quite some time. With Boeing slipping in their timetable and SpaceX suffering their recent failure, it looks like there may be a gap in NASA's manned presence in space. Here's hoping we don't have to wait too long. In other manned spaceflight news, China recently launched the Shenzhou 11, carrying two crew members, called Taikonauts, to their recently put into orbit Tiangong-2 for a 30-day mission. They launched atop the Long March 2F rocket, which burns a combination of hydrazine and nitrogen tetroxide, a hypergolic mixture, meaning it spontaneously reacts. Their work schedule is going to be pretty busy, running experiments and performing technological demonstrations and things like that. They even had a few CubeSats that were deployed once they got close enough to the station. One of them is designed to keep in relatively close proximity, using an ammonia propulsion system so it can image the station with a 25-megapixel camera, especially during docking. China's new station looks like it's off to a great start, here's hoping to see more, and the hope that the Chinese government is more open about their progress. That's all we've got for you this time. For more on space and space-related matters, follow NASA, Orbital ATK, Roscosmos, and the Chinese Space Agency on Twitter, Facebook, and other social media. If you want to hear more about these stories, as well as others I didn't have time to get into here, check out my monthly space news podcast, Committed to Launch. It's on iTunes, Google Play, and the website Committedtolaunch.com. Follow at Commit on Twitter for updates when the next show goes live. Until next time, this is Smokescale Aquatus saying, keep looking up, space fans.
2: This is Skylos Sobaka, and you're listening to For What It's Worth.
5: Have you ever, ever like this?
3: And that amazing ident was from Skylos, so thank you for sending that in. Appreciated it. He sent that in when he also sent in his. Um, his boobie story. So thank you for sending that.
0: It's time. This episode of For What It's Worth has people who paid for it on Patreon. Our Patreon patrons we'd like to thank on the air because we sold out for 10 seconds of our time are Oaken. Oaken. When you really need it fast, call Oaken. <laughs> our other <laughs> sponsor we'd like to thank from Patreon is... Rifka. Rifka. When you need bunnies, call Rifka. <laughs> We'd also like to thank everyone else who sponsored us on Patreon. We really appreciate it and one day we will buy Nuka a good microphone.
3: One day.
0: One day. <laughs> we just got to wait for a couple months. Okay. Well, I think it's time to continue with our stories.
3: So next up, we have Ahead or Behind by D and also voiced by Barnaby.
12: A Head or Behind, or Please Don't Make Rue Read This. Written by D. Read by Barnaby Guthrie. Tug's puppy bear was dead. To begin with, we must be perfectly convinced that he was dead, or nothing wonderful can come out of our story. So you will permit me to repeat for emphasis that Tug's was as dead as a doornail. Mind you, I mean this literally, For Dornell is considered dead because it has no head, thus to discourage evildoers from gaining entrance by taking the door apart. No doubt this has happened once, and once is quite enough. In much the same way, Tugs found himself existentially challenged for want of a head. Rue knew he was dead? How could it be otherwise? For the poor, innocent Cookie Fox had witnessed his podcast partner's decapitation. He had been present when an errant bus, unexpected and early, had struck Tugs squarely in his posterior, launching him into the traffic signal lights on the far side of the intersection, from which he dangled briefly, then fell limply. Poor Roo could only gasp in horror as he watched Tugs hanging from an arrow sign which was embedded in his knee, and bearing one less head than he had at the beginning of the trip. And since Tugs had only ever one head to begin with, he should have missed it dearly had he still the capacity to do so. The funny thing about Tuggs' departure, in so much as anything could be amusing about swift, violent death, was that his head was entirely missing. The police and paramedics all searched diligently for it. Other witnesses were questioned carefully, but no trace of Tuggs' head was ever found. The embalmers at the funeral home had to fashion a replica out of wax. They did the best they could with photos as their model, but Rue could see that it was a little too puppy here, a bit more bare than necessary there, and just a touch too toony overall. A closed cast of service would have been better, he said to himself. Help me, Rue, a still small voice replied. What? Who said that? But the only person near Rue in the parlor was the body, and now everybody else was staring at him. "'Someone is playing a very cruel joke,' Rue explained. "'But even he could see that nobody else was near him. "'Is one of you a ven... veteran... ventilist... ventriloquist?' said the still, small voice. Voice thrower? said Rue. "'Now the family were looking at each other.' "'Rue blushed inside his ears. "'It must be hitting me harder than I thought.' "'The family and visitors nodded to each other and looked away.' Roo retired from the viewing parlor to a private room. He sat in a comfy chair with his face in his hands, not because he was weeping, but in fear. Take it easy, he told himself. Tugs wouldn't want you to crack up. Roo, said the still, small voice. You're not cracking up. Look at the vase. Beside the comfy chair was a small end table, on which were a large box of tissues and a small vase with some plastic flowers arranged in it. As Rue looked at the base, its shape changed. With no intermediate stages, it suddenly took on the shape of Tugs' face. The same face! It could be no other! There was Tugs' blue fur and eyes and pompadour. There were his white muzzle and cheeks and his pink heart of a nose. There could be no question, this was Tugs! Roo, said the ghost, I need your help. I have to be buried with my head or I can't go on to the next life. Why? What's so important about your head? What makes your head important? Rue, it's my head. I mean, why does it matter so much in your next life? Okay. I asked, but I don't understand. It's something about being a hedonist. Come on, Rue, help me. I don't want to have to haunt someone forever. Haunt? Rue exclaimed. Me? Forever? Well, If I can't find my head before they bury me, Rue grabbed the vase. Come on, he cried. We have to find your head. So, with Koru and Fire Breath helping, Rue searched the scene of the crime for Tugs's head. They searched high. I'm telling you, said Tugs, it couldn't have flown farther than two blocks. If you draw a parabola from where the bus hit me, through the traffic signals, it only goes two blocks. But well, we checked every rooftop and awning in a two-block radius, Koru replied, so it's not high. They searched low. If your head fell in here, in the sewer, Ru grumbled, we'll never find it. What makes you so sure? the vase asked. Because everything floats down- Don't say that! What? Why? Ruchi, you're not that wise. What? Oh, Tugs! They asked everyone they could find. But for some reason, nobody wanted to talk about a severed head. Koru, any luck? the base asked. None, came the kitsune's voice over the intercom. Fire breath, Rue asked. How about you? Nothing, the golden retriever replied. This can't be happening, Ru cried. I don't want to be haunted. You think you've got problems, Tugs exclaimed. You only have to put up with me for a lifetime. I've got to spend eternity walking the earth alone feeling all bloated like I'm about to be late to the bathroom. Wait, you feel bloated? The vase nodded. I'm still sort of attached to my body. It's hard to explain. Tugs, do these people who tell you that you need your head seem all-knowing and wise to you? That would be a pretty charitable description. I mean, they know more than I do. A light went on over Rue's head. He looked up. Streetlights, he exclaimed. It's getting late. Quick, back to the funeral home! I'll explain as we go! Rue, Koru, and Firebreath ran into the parlor where Tugs lay. Rue sat the vase down in view of the scene. Then, as the astonished mourners watched, the three friends pulled the body from the coffin and set it on its hands and knees. Okay, everybody! Rue cried. One, two, three! And all three of them gave the body a good, swift kick in the pants. Off popped the wax head. And Tugs' real head emerged, much worse for wear. The funeral home staff eased Tugs back into the coffin and took him away to the embalming room for some last-minute repairs. See, Tugs? said the cookie fox. You had your head up. Hey, speak no ill of the dead. I'm sorry. Are you going to your reward now? It's not actually like that after all. A reward or a punishment. But yeah, I have to go now. I'll miss you, Tugs. The vase smiled. We'll meet again. Roo? That's not so bad. Don't be afraid, okay? And without another word, the vase disappeared, and the vase was just a vase once more. I promise, Roo told it, I won't be afraid anymore. And from that day on, Roochie Lexico was known far and wide as the bravest of cookie foxes. If ever a fox was brave may that be true to all of us even if we're not foxes ourselves and so as brave Rue would say the end
13: Halloween Story 2016 by Kurigari Inukin hey Rue wait up called a voice from behind the fox who was wearing what was supposed to be a cookie costume he turned and looked back at his friend, a large for his age mule that trotted along, nearly tripping over the sheet, draped around his body, trying to mimic a ghost. Why are you so slow, the kid fox said with a snort. I was counting my treats. That last house, so stingy. Only three little choco rolls? Rue rolled his eyes and bounced his orange bucket that looked like a pumpkin. Almost full. Come on, K-Dub, just one more street. He took off around the corner, bushy red and white tail whipping out of sight behind the fence. Tugging the eyeholes back to where he could see through them, the mule sighed and followed his friend, turning the corner onto the new small side street. He found Rue standing there, looking struck speechless. What is it? Kadob whispered. Look at that house. Rue was pointing to a large three story house that was larger than the rest on the street. It stood at the end of the small lane and seemed to fill half the sky with its tree and roof, the moon peering over the top like some bright face staring down at them. As the pair looked around at the other dwellings, they saw that none of them looked occupied, or if the residents were home, they were trying not to appear to be. Darn, looks like we won't get any candy on this street, he commented. None of them have their porch light on. Rue turned to look at him with raised eyebrows. You don't seem like you wanted to come down this way anyway, the fox grunted. I told you already, I wanted to head home two streets ago. A sudden roar made them jump and stop. Four ears perked up. The pair eyed each other nervously, then around the moonlit alley.
8: What was that,
13: Kate said squeakily. I don't know. I think it came from the big house at the end." Rue pointed with a finger. The roar came again, and the cold breeze drifted along the ground, pushing against them and swirling fallen leaves about their feet like the stream. It was giving a collective shudder at the noise. Let's get out of here! k was already turning when Rue stopped him. I want to see what made that noise, the fox replied in a whisper. Don't be thick! The mule sounded exasperated, but the fox was already tugging his arm out of his paw's grip. With a sigh, he followed, continuing to try to convince the curious fox that this was a bad idea. Rue padded silently up to the fence of the house that looked like it needed repairs. The mule followed behind. He put his hand on his friend and tried to tug him away. Let's go. I just want to check this out. The fox pushed open the unlocked gate that swayed in the wind and went up the steps. k followed him, still looking around. He spotted... That one of the lower windows was open and went to check it out, peering between the curtains. Within appeared to be mostly dark, except for the shafts of moonlight that shone through the windows. "'Hey, look, the window is open,' he said, and beckoned the fox over. He had to stand on his toes to be able to see into the window as he was a good bit shorter. "'What do you see?' What made that noise, the fox asked. No, he grunted and climbed into the window, slipping into the house. Hey, wait for me! Brown arms reached back through and helped tug the short fox up and inside. The pair stood there in the semi-darkness and looked around. The house seemed to be completely empty, as well as strewn with litter. There was no furniture anywhere. Nice, Rue. You were just imagining things. "'Looks like no one has lived here in years.' "'Kadab snorted and made to go back to the window "'and lifted his leg onto the edge "'when the roar came again. "'They both fell flat on the floor and looked up. Rue pointed up towards the ceiling. "'Up there? "'Why would anyone live like this? "'How should I know?' the fox stood up. and, "'Without waiting for his friend, "'scanned the messy room for some stairs. "'There were some in the corner.' He started making his way towards them while being careful not to step on anything as the sound might make whoever was upstairs notice that there were others in the house. K-dub cursed and followed his larger hooves being more clumsy. This was a there was a time he stepped on a face which would make it chatter. Luckily the wind chose that time to blow against the house and whistle through all the holes and cracks which easily covered up the noise. Rue was standing by the base of the stairs, holding a finger to his muzzle, telling his friend to be quiet. Mule was glaring at him as he approached. Easy for you to say with your padded feet. You don't have hooves. Cato grunted indignantly. We can argue about feet later. Rue hissed and folded his ears at the sound of something breaking coming from the ceiling above. There was also the faint shout of pain. Fox started up the staircase. His friend followed behind. They slowly peeked over the edge of the floor. Up here was another level of mostly floor with debris strewn about. There did not seem to be anyone here either. K-Dub nudged the fox silently and pointed to a far corner of this room. Another set of stairs led up to what was
8: probably the attic.
13: Folding their ears, they started across the floor, stopping each time a floorboard creaked. The mule noticed how the fox hung onto his arm tighter each time and so would have found it rather funny if not for how his own heart seemed to be beating higher in his chest than usual. They were about 15 paces from the other stairs when a shadow appeared on the wall, cast by someone or something standing at the top. They quickly dug behind a couple of barrels and peered around. Something huge was descending the stairs. Each step made the stair underneath creak-threateningly as if barely able to contain the weight of them. They saw a huge, white, furred hand gripping the railing that looked like you could snap the boards easily. Lower the things went on the stairs, its large body-muscled and savage-looking. It had what looked like a lupine head with large triangular ears. A long muzzle full of fangs and a thick mane of hair along its back. In the bright light, they saw white fur on its front, black fur on its back, and a tail with a curious band of bluish fur that seemed to divide the other two colors. It reached the bottom of the stairs and turned. The fox gulped. The savage eyes swept the room. It stood hunched over in a bestial manner as it breathed. A, werewolf, up exclaimed. Rue shushed up, grabbing his muzzle. Looks like it, he whispered. The beast stood up straight and sniffed the air. The two fell silent as it growled. Rue shot his friend a look that seemed to say, "Well, it was good knowing you." ...as it started towards them. There was no place to run... ...or hide... ...without being spotted from their current place. It stomped closer. Rue nudged his friend out You run! K-Dub took several seconds to form a reply... ...as the scent of the beast reached their noses. I'm not leaving you here. Go Rue shoved him... ...pushed towards the stairs, leading down... ...then leapt out into the open. Hey, big guy! The beast glanced over and stopped seeming to give a grin at seeing some play found you It growled and suddenly lunged Rue had just enough time to leap off the box he was standing on before the beast had bounced K-Dub looked back as he went seeing his friend being followed he stopped and looked around his feet searching for something that might be useful to throw he picked up a large glass bottle then turned and threw it at the beast his aim fell short but it still got the attention of it It growled loudly and sprang towards him. He quickly ran away from the stairs. Rue, the stairs, go, he shouted. The fox appeared from behind one of the thick wooden pillars that held up the ceiling. He turned and bolted for the stairs. Okay, now you, the fox shouted, watching his friend being chased around the room. Kato ran forward, the beast still behind him, anger in its eyes and its large tail whipping behind it. Rue set down his pumpkin container of treats and threw something at it, this time a piece of pipe that spun through the air and smacked the beast on his shoulder, making it yelp, stumble, and trip over some debris on the floor. The mule grabbed his friend as the beast hit the floor, with a grunt making the floor shudder. They bolted down the stairs to an angry snarl from the beast and hurried to the window that they'd used to get into the house. Ada picked up the squirming fox and shoved him through the open pane, then slept down himself just as the beast rushed down the door. They both pressed against the wall of the house under the window as they heard the beast sniffing the air, getting closer to the window. Luckily, it was much too large to get out the same way they did. Holding their breath for fear of being heard, they waited for the beast to leave the window before hurrying out of the yard and down along the alleyway running full tilt until they turned the corner back onto the larger street. Rue gripped at his sides as he breathed heavily, waiting for his breath to catch up with him. He looked back and saw that K-Dub was grinning. "'What's so funny?' Rue said. "'You left your treats back at the house,' K-Dub smirked, and swung his pillowcase of his own treats over his shoulder. The fox's eyes widened. "'No! (laughs) I can't get any more!' Unless you want to try to go back to the house and ke- try to get it. Roo sighed. And started off with his friend on the sidewalk years low. No candy.
5: <sighs>
13: what kind of Halloween is this? One that you got tricked pretty good, I'd say. Rue snarled, but kept walking feeling dejected. Thanks. He scowled. Yeah, that big beast there. Soikurigari has been ill the past couple of days the fox stopped and glared at him he is the werewolf well we're asking supposed to be exact meal finished you set all this up what you rude lunged at the mule who giggled gleefully and ran off down the street with the fox right behind him back at the old house a large white paw lifted up the lonely treat bucket that had been left behind in its owner's rush to flee a smirk crept along the long muzzle, showing a few fangs. Trace.
0: <laughs> Welcome back to this annoying voice, telling you more about a fake radio station that doesn't exist on spoopy Halloween. I'm definitely keeping the mood. That was a Halloween Story 2016 by Rue Second, read <laughs> by 10x Raccoon. His name. Up next, written and read by Skylos, we have Halloween in Space.
2: Come and listen as Uncle Skylos tells you a story. A story of space. A story of horror. A story of Halloween from not so very far in the future. We present Halloween in Space by Skylo Sobaka. Happy Halloween, Rue cried as Tugs floated in from the head in microgravity. Tugs caught himself on a handhold, gaping. The cockpit was decorated with cobwebs and orange and black cutout decorations. A skull grinned out from under a flight helmet buckled into the captain's seat. Where an, an interplanetary space shuttle did you get, he began. ''Cookies!'' exclaimed Ruchi Lexico, presenting a large tray covered with orange and brown cookies. ''How?'' he demanded in his best-captain authoritative voice. ''Did you bake cookies?'' ''I used the Easy-Bake Oven!'' he explained reasonably. Tugs ground his teeth. ''We don't have... I 3D printed it. Neat, huh?'' Rue giggled cheerfully and munched on one. ''They're oatmeal raisin. Open wide!'' and launched one towards his face. Tugs batted it away in irritation. This is an operating spaceship. We can't have skeletons in the couches and cobwebs on the switches. There was a disturbing zorch sound from an open panel Tugs had been working on before he visited the head. Flames were now spouting out of it. Now look what you've done, he shouts, groping for the extinguisher that was supposed to be latched behind the seat. Where is the extinguisher? Oh, I'll get it. Rue kicked off down the hatchway, cookies flying everywhere. I had it in case the oven caught fire! You idiot unreading whore! Tugs bellowed after him, pulling himself over towards the breaker panel. His fuzzy paw was about to open the circuits for that panel when it slipped rapidly out of reach. He realized the thrusters were firing about the time the cabin bulkhead slammed into his head, flattening him against the wall, his ears ringing from the blow. No, not only ringing. Warning buzzers and klaxons were blaring. A familiar voice. Smokey's was clearly speaking. Emergency fire suppression. Venting bulkhead closure in 10, 9, 8, 7. Tugs! screeched Drew, scrambling up the gangway with the extinguisher. Get out of there! Tugs blinked blurrily. Smokey? Drew? he muttered coughing on the smoke. Four. Three. Ruse scrambled in just as the blast door slammed shut. The extinguisher cylinder didn't make it, getting caught momentarily in the door before it squirted out under the pressure straight into the main viewport, which cracked alarmingly. Ruse shoved the blinking tugs into the secondary couch, latched the strap around him, reached over and switched off the breakers. Venting in three but the recording had no time. The main viewport exploded into space, taking Rue, cookies, decorations, cobwebs, the skull, and the smoke and fire out into the blackness with a sickeningly silencing whoosh. Rue slammed into the gantry outside, mere meters from the main port, somehow sticking there. Tug's eyes widened in comprehension as Rue mouthed, I'm sorry. The emergency doors slammed closed across the viewport and sound slowly returned, his ears popping repeatedly as the pressure returned to ship normal. Smokey's concerned voice was coming from the comm speaker.
5: Rue? Are you there?
2: Telemetry
0: has gone nuts down here. A fire? Please respond.
2: He found his paw could move, but his vision was full of tears. Eventually he switched open the channel. His voice choked. Uh, Tug's here. Fire extinguished. Roo was spaced. Accident. Thrusters fired. Oh shit. Oh shit. Smokey swore. And you know that means it's bad. You've lost the whole hydroponics and supplies
10: pod. Your vector is off by dozens of degrees.
2: I'm dead, aren't I? Tug's muttered. Dead puppy bear captain. So this is how I die said Smokey, his typing rapid in the background.
5: I have a solution. Running
2: detailed numbers. Time is tight, though every minute you're on that course costs us precious
4: remaining fuel and hours of travel. You know that fox return unit.
2: He was speaking of a return-to-earth unit designed to be used by a feral fox, part of an experiment the craft was configured for but had been scrapped late when the vixen had gotten pregnant and the second was lost to a medicine lab accident, but only in the hours before launch. That thing is tiny, Tugs objected. I'll never fit in there. Smoky
5: the numbers,
2: Smokey said analytically. We have six hours, 40 minutes before the
10: point of no return. Now listen closely.
2: To make a long story short, about five and a half hours later... Tugs slid into the narrow hatch of the tiny craft, never meant for puppy bear kind. He settled into the tight space, hyperventilating a bit as his sensitive and bandaged stubs, both legs and his left arm, thrust into the cushions as he tightened the makeshift belt. Closed, the hatch brushed his ears. Smokey's calm voice came through the headset. Reading that the
14: hatch is secure, Blowing the coupling in
6: three.
2: There was a sharp bang and whoosh. The ship and space alternately swung past the viewport. Stabilizing jets pulsed after long moments, and the universe stabilized. Tugs could see Rue through the tiny viewport. He still hung from the gantry, this angle showing a gruesome dark bulge on his back where debris had pierced him. Tugs took the last Halloween cookie from the food and water bags that filled all the available space around him. Happy Halloween, Rue, he whispered. Firing for 22 minutes in
5: T-minus 5, 4,
2: 3, came Smokey's voice. You make a damn good cookie even in an easy-bake oven, Tugs told him. The thrusters pressed him into the cushions, carrying him back towards his home earth. The tears in his eyes could have been for the pain of the amputations or the loss of his limbs but were they this has been halloween in space presented for for what it's worth by skylo sabaka
14: a short story by lost panda narrated by christian collie rue was waiting in the studio while tugs and Koru set up for the show he was gazing out the window, lost in thought, when suddenly everything shifted. He found himself in a long rectangular room that was swaying side to side, in time to a repetitive ka-chunk, ka-chunk sound. Rue looked around the space. It was mostly filled with wooden crates. There were doors on either end and a window covered by a shutter. The space was dimly lit by bare bulbs running across the top of his compartment. Rue crossed to the window and after fumbling with the latch was able to open the shutters. Poking his head out the window, he saw that he was on a train. The train was rolling down the tracks through a desert landscape in the middle of the night as the full moon lit the scenery. Stepping back from the window, Rue notices a small piece of paper, he picked it up and examined it. It was the shape of a ticket, but the letters were scrambled so that it didn't say anything that made sense. Pocketing it so that he could examine it later, he went over to the door at the end of the car. Just as he reached out and touched the knob, he felt a sudden chill, and the hairs on the back of his neck began to prickle. Then came a soft knock, knock, knock. Something was behind the door, and it wasn't anything good. He took a step back, and then another. Yet the chill persisted, and it wasn't just him. The train car was getting colder. Frost began to creep across the windows, and Rue began to see his own breath. The light bulbs began to dim and the knob began to turn. Rue turned and ran. He didn't even look back as he heard the door slam open. Behind him, the lights began to go out one by one. Rue dashed to the opposite door and managed to slip through the door, close it, and slide the lock in place. This train car looked much like the first filled with crates of various sizes. Breathing heavily, he took a moment to relax, since whatever had chased him was now locked on the other side. However, that turned out to be a mistake, as whatever it was that was on the other side rammed the door. Rue shrieked an alarm as the room grew colder, and the lights began to dim. The door was rammed again, and the locking mechanism began to bend. Rue ran as fast as he could as the sounds of whatever it was continued to slam itself against the door. Rue got to the other door and was nearly through it when the thing burst through. Rue only caught a glimpse as he shut and locked his door, but what he saw terrified him. Panting, he double-checked the lock and turned around, only to be confronted by a tall man in a dark suit. He peered down at Rue and said, Ticket. Rue squeaked. What? No. There's something in the other car, it's been chasing me. The tall man shook his head and repeated, Ticket. That's when Rue noticed the man had a ticket punch in his hand. Rue fumbled and pulled out the one he had found in the first train car. He handed it over and the ticket collector punched it and handed it back. Rue studied the ticket. It looked the same, except for the crescent moon-shaped punch in one end. Rue tried to tell the ticket collector about the thing that had chased him, but the ticket collector just shook his head and motioned Rue to go forward. So Rue began to walk down the aisle. On either side, there were seats filled with passengers, yet no one was talking. They just stared out the window, or more unnervingly, at him. Yet they all had a vacant look which gave Rue the feeling that they didn't actually see him. Unnerved, Rue tried to ask some of the passengers where the destination was, or what was going on. They didn't answer and only stared blankly at him, until there came a knock, 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 at the door which Rue had locked. At the knocks, all the passengers turned to look at the door. Don't, cried out Rue, as the ticket collector reached out his long, skinny arm and began to unlock the door. Rue turned and ran for the opposite door and the lights began to flicker. Only then did he realize the passengers had also begun to grow transparent like ghosts. Ghosts. That was more than enough for Rue. he ran as fast as he could and went through one train car, then another, locking doors behind him and fleeing past more spectral passengers. Till he went through a door marked first class. Locking that door behind him, he tried to catch his breath. It was only then that he noticed that the room was carpeted in bones. Some crushed underfoot as he began to cross the room, passing seats filled with skeletons was halfway through when he heard something on the roof of the car. Something that sounded like footsteps. Rue sprinted down the length of the first class car. As the air grew colder and he knew that the thing had been chasing him, it was gating. Suddenly, there was a smashing noise as the thing came through one of the windows behind him. Rue didn't stop. He flung himself through the next and kicked slammed it closed behind him. Then, almost fell over, as the train jerked and swayed, Rue managed to grab a railing and steady himself. He was outside, the desert landscape rushing by as the train picked up speed. Ahead of him was the cart heaped up with coal, while behind him, the thing chasing him, clawed at the door in fury. Rue quickly scrambled over the coal until he reached the locomotive control car, there a skeleton in a conductor's uniform gripped a lever speeding the train along, then Rue saw something even more horrifying. The tracks curved ahead, and at the end there was only a partially completed suspension bridge overlooking a vast canyon. The train was barreling to its demise. Rue grabbed the lever the conductor's skeleton was clinging to and pulled it back with all his might. The train began to slow down, but Rue knew it wouldn't be enough. The train was going too fast and they would be going over in a moment. Then he heard something sliding over the coals behind him. Too late, he remembered that the thing had been chasing him. The train went over the side and he had a sensation of falling. Just as he felt a hand cold as ice, grabbed his shoulder, and with a jolt, Rue found himself back in the studio. Tugs' hand was on his shoulder. Are you okay? You look like you've seen a ghost, he said. Rue blinked and looked about the room. Tugs and Koru had finished setting it up. I'm okay. Just lost my train of thought, said Rue. Tugs nodded and went to get started. Rue breathed a sigh of relief until he looked down at his lap and saw a ticket, with a crescent moon punched into it, and he heard a knock, knock, knock at the door.
3: Listening to For What It's Worth Radio! Yeah, guys! Alright, so you just listened to Halloween Story Short 2016. What a generic name! Ah, that was by Lost Panda, and it was read by Christian.
0: The same Christian who does our music?
3: Yeah, the same guy. Oh, good, we did. He's so amazing! (laughs) Next up, and our last featured story, is Halloween. A Halloween Submission, another very generic name, and that was by Ozzy Cat, and it was read and voiced by Blue.
4: Twas all's Hallow's Eve, and all through the house, one could hear the quick heartbeat of a very frightened mouse. Just a few minutes past, a mouse prepared for bed he noticed something peculiar that filled him with dread. The door to his backyard was left ajar, bloody paw prints on the floor, so the culprit couldn't be far. With a quickness, he crept to the closet under the stairs. He grabbed his old bat, till he heard a sound that raised his neck hairs. A groan from the hallway, long and low. From the basement, he pondered, and bravely headed down below. With a flick of the switch, he turned on the light, arms raised in position, he prepared to fight. But when he turned to face his foe, he saw only his cousin, sporting face filled with woe. It was only a bit of fun, surely you understand. He begged, release me please, I know you're a better man. With a smile, the host checked his prisoner's chains. Well, I know it wasn't you, but I'll still tighten the reins so he shortened the length that tied his family to ground, to make sure his guest wouldn't wander around. Now, be a good boy and try to understand. This mouse has no sympathy and won't answer your demand. He noticed his captives were one short of a set. Don't worry about your twin, my boy, I'll get her back yet. He ascended the stairs and hunted once more. Even if she escaped, he mused, she's got nowhere to go. In a town with good neighbors, there's nowhere she could stow. With that thought in mind, he walked up his house. He was tired from searching for one scrawny mouse. After grabbing a snack, he headed to bed. He fluffed up his pillow and lay down his head, never noticing once in the quiet of the home two small eyes peering behind his favorite tome.
15: get psyched with Dr. Nuka. Recently, the American Institute for Cancer Research concluded that eating processed meats, which sadly includes bacon, significantly increases your risk for colorectal cancer. Now, if you're a vegetarian or a person who hates bacon, you're probably inclined to believe these findings. After all, it's the American Institute for Cancer Research. seems like a pretty reputable place to get your information about cancer. But what if you're like me? What if you love bacon? How does this finding make you feel? And be honest with me, which of these is closer to your first response? Did you say, I'm going to stop eating bacon for breakfast? Or were you more likely to say, bullshit, that study's probably wrong. And besides, everything gives you cancer nowadays. Does the way we interpret this study have something to do with whether or not we eat bacon? The phenomenon I've introduced is called cognitive dissonance and it was first developed nearly 60 years ago by a psychologist named Leon Festinger. And as far as psychological concepts go, this one's actually fairly intuitive and straightforward. Basically cognitive dissonance occurs whenever we have at least two thoughts or actions that contradict one another. Contradictions make us uncomfortable and this discomfort is known as dissonance. So for example, Let's imagine a person who smokes. They've heard studies that show that smoking causes cancer, and this creates a problem for them, because they are a smoker, and they don't like the thought of getting cancer. The pairing of this thought and the behaviour creates a state of tension or distress in our smoker. And according to cognitive dissonance theory, our smoker is motivated to get rid of this distress, this dissonance, somehow. So how do they do it? Well, one way would be to stop smoking. No more smoking, no more threat. However, ask someone who's tried to stop smoking just how hard it is. Clearly, this option revolves uh, around a lot of effort being put in. So what's the alternative? Well, they could keep smoking and just not believe what the studies say. This is a lot easier to do. You don't have to go through all the hassle of quitting smoking. All you have to do is say that these studies are wrong and suddenly you can keep smoking without having to deal with all that pesky dissonance. And in fact, this is probably what's happening with our bacon example. If you eat a lot of bacon, it's scary to think that this might be a risk for cancer. But it's also hard to give up eating bacon. So instead of doing the hard thing, it's a lot easier to just call the study bullshit or tell yourself that bacon's no more dangerous than anything else we eat. No dissonance, no problem. Cognitive dissonance has a lot of other interesting implications as well. One of which is called effort justification. Think about a person trying to join a group, let's say a frat house for example, and imagine that there's some sort of initiation to get in, something like hazing where you have to go through embarrassments or pain or other unpleasantness just to get into the group. But you tough it out and eventually they let you in. Now does the fact that you were hazed make you more or less likely to enjoy the group? Well, cognitive dissonance theory says that you should actually like the group more because of what you went through to get in. Why? Because of dissonance. You don't like to be humiliated. We typically don't like to be hurt. And yet, you just went through a ton of both of those to get into the group. That's a contradiction. But you can get rid of that contradiction by adding a third thought. Oh, you did it because this group is really, really worth it. This gets rid of the tension by justifying all of the pain and suffering that you went through. The more you suffer to get in, the more you like and value the group. If this group wasn't amazing, then you'd have to admit that you just went through all of that suffering for no good reason. So what does all of this have to do with furries? Well, there's at least two ways we can apply cognitive dissonance theory to the furry fandom. For starters, let's think about how others perceive the furry fandom. A lot of people have really negative attitudes towards furries and tend to treat them quite poorly because they think they're sexual deviants or maladjusted people. Now imagine you presented these people with evidence that actually furries are well adjusted and they're pretty nice people. This creates dissonance. On the one hand it's probably true that most furries are normal decent people, but on the other hand you've been a complete jerk to furries. You could acknowledge that you were acting like a jerk this whole time for no good reason, but that's kind of an unpleasant realization to have about yourself. Instead it's a lot easier to just dismiss this evidence that furries are normal nice people. That way you can say that you were a jerk to furries because they totally deserved it. And you see a lot of this happening. Haters don't really want to believe that furries are normal nice people because they're motivated not to. And this is why sometimes haters are just going to hate. But we can also apply what we've learned about cognitive dissonance and effort justification to furries in the furry fandom. When people suffer for a group they tend to value that group precisely because of all the effort they put into it. Now consider all the stigma that furries go through. Furries put up with a lot of teasing and bullying and negative stereotypes just because they want to be a furry. What's the result? Well a lot of them feel very strongly about the fandom. It's an important and central part of their identity and it might be at least partly due to how much they've put up with just to be a furry. It's a bit counterintuitive. But the more crap furries have had to put up with for being a furry, the more likely they are to strongly identify as one. The take-home message is this. Anytime we're confronted with contradictions between our own attitudes, beliefs, and behaviours, it's going to make us feel uncomfortable. And when it comes to getting rid of that dissonance, it's easy to pick the solution that requires the least effort, deny the possibility that Bacon could possibly cause cancer, Or tell yourself that baby furs or bronies or furries or any other group deserves the teasing you're giving them. But if we can recognize that cognitive dissonance exists and it motivates us to take the easy way out, we just might be able to work against it and make the better choice in the end. This has been a quick look at the psychology of cognitive dissonance. I'm Dr. Nuka, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time on Get Psyched.
16: You're listening to For What It's Worth, brought to you by For What It's Worth brand tomato repellent. When you have an all-consuming need to destroy all tomato products within a 10-mile radius, think For What It's Worth. Are you allergic to tomatoes? Do you have a pathological fear of members of the nightshade family? Are you tugs? If you've answered yes to any one of these questions, then we've got just the product for you. For What It's Worth brand tomato repellent. A spritz here, a spritz there, and in no time you'll have nothing resembling that crimson nightshade anywhere near you. The convenient, easy-to-use spray bottle is perfect for spot treatment, such as at your local fast food establishment. These chain restaurants are known breeding grounds for the red menace. Just look at what all the young people are dipping their french fried potatoes in. No, that's not the blood of their enemies. It's ketchup. And what's ketchup made from? Tomatoes. Horrible, horrible tomatoes. Tomatoes. Just look at them. They can't even make up their minds if they're a fruit or a vegetable. How evil of them. Perverse, too. Are you having problems with entire armies of tomatoes threatening to overrun the good citizens of your down-home American town? Then why not try our aerosol grenades? Simply drop one into the barrel of your mortar and boom! You'll be rid of that communist vegetation before you know it. For what it's worth, brand tomato repellent. Also available for Brussels sprouts. And now for today's secret code. eleven, five, twenty, three, eight, twenty-one, sixteen, nine, nineteen, thirteen, one, four, five, fifteen, six, sixteen, five, fifteen. 8, 16, 16, 12, 5. Good luck.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, this is the 50 Sheds of Grey VR Simulator. Your instructions are as follows First, go to the local Packy. Get as much of whatever cheap liquor you can have, preferably plastic bottle, preferably with a handle. Make sure that they give you a bag. Take and go home, preferably a quiet space, maybe a closet, some place where no one will hear you screaming. Drink the liquor, yes, all of it, we'll wait. Are you done yet? God Almighty, what type of drunk are you? It's terrible. Anyway, place the plastic or paper, if they're cheap, or Californian bag over your head now. See why you had to drink first? Are you going to try to drink through a plastic bag? Really? What's wrong with you? We will now start the simulation experience. You are currently in a dark room with a plastic bag over your head. An Oompa Loompa is running for president. Breathe deeply. Just repeat until it stops. This has been your 50 Sheds of Grey VR experience.
0: And that's all we have for stories today. I'll it was be, spoopy. <laughs> I'll be discontinuing this sultry voice. And just doing the normal voice I do.
3: Yay! <laughs> it was a fun, was a
0: mood crappy
3: voice. How a, did you like my a voice? A fun, crappy
0: voice. My what?
3: announcer voice. It was so good. <laughs> I loved it.
0: Your announcer voice sounded like a movie theater.
3: Oh. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. yeah. And yours sound like, um, you Cra- know... Some like sort crime. of sleepy time bedtime story.
0: Would you like to go to bed?
3: Uh, yeah, I, with a <laughs> as long as there is a cookie involved, I'm I'm, I'm game. I can see you getting. i It's fairly bed. easy.
0: I can see you getting a bed with like cookie print bedding. Like, oh my
3: hmm. gosh, if somebody like should send me a link or, to queen size cookie bedding, I'll so buy it. You
0: are a size queen. Um, also, you could just do like a black comforter, white inner sheeting, and then like a black um, mattress sheet. Oh my gosh, you have, have, I, like Oreo why have bed? I not
3: thought of this idea sooner? And then have like little plushy pillows in the bed. I said,
0: well, you've got plush cookies, you got plush food. Well, I have one plush cookie. Yes, yeah, but... so you just order a whole bunch, you know, get the family pack and you're good.
3: Oh my gosh, that would be like the cutest bed. It's like a plush pillow full of cookies. And then
0: they'll go, you're how old? And you'll be like 40. And they'll be like, No. Oh, before I forget, um, I'm not making fun of anybody. I can't remember who asked this. I'll remember as soon as I, of course, stop talking about it. But someone a- asked me if you were in transition.
5: What? <laughs> I'm serious. I'm Again,
0: <laughs> they private messaged you.
3: I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not transitioning. I promise. I mean, I I kind of am transitioning if you think about it because you know I haven't had testosterone for most of my
0: life and.
14: Now I'm getting it, and so I'm my voice is lowering. And
0: wait, wait, don't do that! Don't do that! Hold on, hold on. Let's do. If we're gonna do this, let's do it right. Jeez. What? Oh my god! Are you god. gonna put a
3: filter on me?
0: No, hold on. This is what I meant. Does everyone
12: know what time it is? Tumor time. That's right. Nuka Brand Tools proudly presents Tumor Time now with
2: Tug's Puppy Bear and Rue the Cookie Eating Volpine.
0: <laughs> so what are you saying about your testosterone?
3: <laughs> oh well, you know, I was saying that my testosterone has been—I've um, been having more and more testosterone. So, you know, transitioning. That—that uh, that was a terrible deliver. But I was wait, wait, not wait, ready wait. for that. Hold it,
0: hold it though. Like, like, so are they? I don't know if I can ask this. Are you getting like synthetic tea, or are you producing tea now?
3: So, I was producing tea before, and now. But now I'm producing tea and getting synthetic tea as well.
0: But I thought that if you started taking tea, that your body would stop making tea.
3: Um, no, it still does produce it. It just, you know, it probably would produce less. Oh, okay. So, have, afterward.
0: You, have you noticed any changes you're willing to share?
3: Well, um, my hair is getting, coming in a little bit thicker on my... You know, my my stubs, and I'm having to shave just a little bit more.
0: You mean your face.
3: Yeah, my my face, not my crotch.
0: Well, you said stubs.
3: Uh, yeah, the stubs on my chin.
0: Oh, I thought you meant like the stubs in between your legs. No, okay. no,
3: that's not what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the m- most not- noticeable change is um, just having more energy um, to be able to complete more, more things. And um, I'm also able to handle... Um, you know, high pressured situations. Really? A little bit more than what I was in the past.
0: Like how? Like are you just like more willing to deal with it? Like do you feel more like I'm going to be aggressive and fix it? Or is it you just don't take it that way anymore? Like just, you don't freak out?
3: Well, how do, how do I explain it? It just, it helps you to be able to ta- take control of your psyche versus letting sure. your psyche be in control of you. And when you don't have that correct balance um. In hormones, um, it can lead to you being depressed a lot.
0: God, I know, right? Like, I I don't. Okay, I have not personally, but I know people who have been, so.
3: Yeah. So, it it's helped correct that, too. And I feel like that I've been able to do a lot more. Um, I have a lot more energy, like I said. At the very end of the day, I'm able to, um, you know, I'm able to, to accomplish a lot more. It used to be like I ate dinner. And then I just had to go to bed. It was just, I'm so exhausted. And now it's like, oh, I have this other part of my day now. that I can go do stuff. Cool.
0: Cool. I just remembered something. When you're done, we'll we'll do that. Okay, go ahead. Okay. I have this. November 7th is the day.
3: Oh, my gosh. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. November
0: 7th. Is the return of the McRib.
3: So are you saying that the next episode is
0: the McRib episode? That's a good idea, but I don't think so. I think we'll do that for Thanksgiving, maybe. What do but, you think? We could talk about it. But
3: it could be, they could end it at any time, Tugs.
0: No, it's through the end of the year. I am in the McRib circle, man. I know the plans. Oh, you know the plans? I do know. It is like, they're going to go, oh, it's holidays. It's time to eat McRib. And I'll be like, oh, it's Christmas again soon. And eat McRibs and become a fat ass American once again. <laughs> I I am very excited for this.
3: So who are we going to torture? We're going to have to figure that out. Yep. Ugh. <sighs> Do I have to eat one? Can I? Can I like have a cookie McRib or something like
0: a cookie? You want a McRib with cookies on we'll, it?
3: No, we'll just like do like a cookie that looks like a McRib.
0: No, I think <laughs> you need to eat. What's wrong with McRib?
3: It just—it's uh, not. I don't know. I
0: think it's terrifying for a Halloween episode. I mean, uh,
3: yeah, no, it is fairly terrifying. I mean, you know, if you want to put rotten flesh <laughs> in your mouth, you know, it's—it's it's great. I thought you were Halloween okay story. with McRib. I am. I'm being I'm over exaggerating because you know there's nobody else to be over dramatic
0: about. You know it. what we should do is we should like talk one of the local McDonald's into like letting us like use the party room or something and like just doing the make room episode at a McDonald's
3: <laughs> and like the playpen area. <laughs> just oh. kidding. <laughs> All right, go play with your ball. I'm in the balls. I'm gonna play with balls. Yay! <laughs> I'm an innocent fox.
0: You're an innocent fox. I yeah, am innocent. Right? Yeah. So.
15: Right.
3: What do we have going on now?
0: Oh, uh, Do we have well, them?
3: Do we have, like.
14: All right. We've pulled the zipper down. It's time for the mailbag. Thank
3: you, esteemed individual that zipped down their pants. For us, That's I actually mean. Sorry, really... it was it wasn't pants. I meant the the mailbag. Unzip that. Uh, this is Rue reading a lovely um, email, which I'm probably going to mess up on. But here we go. <laughs> what?
0: What was I doing to This is Rue reading an email. Now he introduces himself at the end of the episode. That's Rue. <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: go you on. haven't you haven't introduced yourself. You I'm... know.
0: The bitch. You're the bitch? I'm the bitch.
3: Okay. All right. Good to see you, bitch. It's oh, ah! Nice to nice to listen to you. We're done here. Voice. Okay. All right. <laughs> Dear Rue and Tugs, A few months ago, I switched from being a non-morphic crow. Things have gone well, except for one thing that has started to bother me. I hang out on muck a lot, which means the chatting includes posing and actions, and people keep tossing shiny objects at me. I, it feels patronizing, though I know that they're just trying to be friendly. Am I, am I wrong to feel this way? How should I respond? Thanks for your advice you can provide.
0: People keep tossing shiny objects at me. Non-morphic crow. Um. You you know what, the thing is, is if you don't react to it, then they're not gonna keep doing it. It's, it's a reaction thing, right? Like we're all in some kind of, there's a really great Ted talk about this, but we're all in this play together, right? Like yeah. on a muck, especially. So by saying, Here's a shiny, and you're not reacting, they'll eventually get the clue that, uh, whatever. But it's also part of the thing. I mean, it's like if you choose to be a fox, then. Prepare to, um, have as many sex jokes
3: thrown at you as right. possible.
0: It's, it's part of it, and.
3: It's I mean, I don't, I don't mean to
0: say suck it up and deal with it. You don't have to like it. I'm just saying, there, you should have a realistic expectation that you will get those jokes.
3: There's furry stereotypes everywhere that you turn. It doesn't matter what species you are unless you're some sort of like weird hybrid that nobody has heard of like a puppy bear. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding, Tugs. Don't kill me. (laughs) 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 So, So, yeah, just be yourself. You know, who cares what other people think, really? I mean, in the end... As long as you're happy that's all that matters don't change your persona on other people or um change what you're doing for other people or you're gonna always let other people control who you are um it's your choice to get offended so just you know just joke or whatever and or choose not to associate with them it's totally up to you you know what you do but um but i really feel like that You know just probably continue doing what you're doing and uh, don't take it too hard you know i don't think that people are doing it to be malicious
0: you could also just say oi a penny a what a penny
3: yeah yeah like i mean that's that's kind of what i do with the whole fox thing is that i
0: you know what you say you go i don't watch down there (laughs) (laughs) come up with something like that and then people will get the hint
3: exactly or or just joke around with with it you know who who cares they're just having fun it's not anything they're not demeaning your character
0: so i just want to go back to something you said in the middle of your tirade there what were you saying about species that people haven't heard of
3: oh puppy bears (laughs) no why would you do this to me that's terrible
0: I'm going to kill you now. Uh,
3: well, you didn't you didn't kill me this Halloween episode. ha <laughs> ha
0: All right. Uh, our next email. Oh, thank you for the email. Uh, the next email is from Spark. Spark says, hello, everyone. I've been gone for a while, but after much thinking and soul searching, I have returned. I'm not really into writing to talk about myself, really writing in to talk about myself. I said that right. But I want to give some thoughts on the subject of leaving the fandom. I made the mistake of leaving because I had a few bad experiences. This was not the right thing to do. I'm sure everyone out there has some issue with fellow furs, but it's important to not blame the fandom itself. You wouldn't blame America because an American robbed you, so we shouldn't blame the fandom for having issues with some of its members. This is long enough read as it is, but I wanted to share an experience that I gathered so others won't make the same mistake. Happily returned, Spark the Dragon. I'm glad you came back. I was actually kind of bummed. That you left, um, like I don't know this leaving coming back. I'm like just stick it out. Well, well you I don't know. It out. You, have you ever it out. thought
3: about leaving Tugs?
0: Uh, yeah, I did, and then I said, "What the hell am I talking about?" And that was about ten seconds of my life wasted. Yeah, yeah. Was
3: I good. mean, there there's some thoughts that have ran it through my head where it's like, you know, a lot of these people are. I'm growing older, and it just seems like that a lot of these people are just. I don't have as much in common with them as I used to and but then I don't know then then you just find these like special people that just are just amazing and they light up your life and um, you know they light up everybody else that around them and uh, and then you just learn that you know you know, there's some assholes in the fandom. There definitely is, but there's some great people in the fandom too. So I'm glad that you're back. That's awesome.
0: <laughs> Me too. Okay. I actually realized we had one email that we didn't grab during our planning. Um, it's just a quick note from D saying that the fandom is about 35 years old. Uh, and the murder that we were talking about, I don't think you were here for that. It was lyrics episode. Um, that's the first one that's been reported. That's been directly linked to it. So that's, Pretty good. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I know. I, was... I
3: mean, not that it's awesome that a murder happened, by no means, but... Um, oh, yeah. So... Let's let's not have any more. Uh, that'd be good.
0: Yeah, I'm actually trying to find one last story. Um, so let's hold on a second while I grab it. Okay, I found out I can't play the whole thing, but I'm going to play this. This is our final story to you. All the kids from daycare are in dreamland.
2: The froggy has made his last leap. Hell no, you can't go to the bathroom. You know where you can go?
5: The f*** to sleep.
0: (laughs) There you go. There's our short story to you for this Halloween.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, may all your Halloweens be just as merry as this one. (laughs) Indeed.
0: Indeed have you commented on the site yet
14: it's time to be reminded in housekeeping
3: yay it's housekeeping time
0: i have housekeeping for real now
3: you do let's hear it
0: no i like really do have housekeeping like come into my house and clean it every week no every other week because here's the thing is i'm lazy and i don't want to scrub toilets anymore and it's actually really nice like they they sweep the floors and just tidy up a bit, but it makes you feel so much better about like having a clean place. Like how,
3: it, how much does it cost?
0: Um it, it varies. I'm paying like my share is like twenty-five bucks every two weeks.
3: Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: It's it's one of those things where like I struggled with it because it's like, Am I admitting I'm a lazy fuck? <laughs> no, really. I mean like you should be able to keep your own space clean. The thing is I'm working forty hours a week, I'm busting my ass. You know, I've got this stuff going on. I don't I don't necessarily have all this energy to clean the house. So, you know, at least now I have a clean house.
5: I've,
0: yeah.
3: Really no, like it, it looks amazing. Um,
0: so uh, that's not the housekeeping we're here for, though. So the housekeeping we are here for is we'd like to thank Koru and Firebreath for being there for us when we need them. They're wonderful support cast.
3: Definitely. And we want to also extend a huge thank you to um, Kagos for... Especially this particular us. episode, helping us out to make sure that this episode happened.
0: Yes, and we want to thank everyone who sent in stories and read them.
3: Yes, uh, that took a lot of hours on your part. In fact, you know, there's a couple people that messaged me and she, they're like, "I don't know how you guys do this because this was my seventh, seventh take. I don't understand how you guys can do this and, and we do, do it this properly. In, like so,
0: one take. We've never retaken an episode.
3: So all I can say is this: practice the amount of time that I mess up reading your guys's emails. There you go, <laughs> vindication.
0: There, it's true. Just it's kidding. True. Um. Thanks to our Patreon sponsors. Is there anyone else we need to thank?
3: Um. Oh, let's both. thank thank God and thank the moon.
0: Get out of here. And... The fuck out of here! Okay. What the fuck are you talking about? What you're making this episode really scary by bringing religion into it.
3: You know what? It's a Halloween episode. So I know it it's, can be spoopy.
0: It can be. Um, you
3: know, I just I just want to thank all of our um, our people that have joined our Telegram group. There's definitely a community that's going there. If you haven't had an opportunity yet, um, please head over to the Telegram group. We'd love to join you there. We post lots of little fun. We play games, little games and stuff like that that we um, play with the um, play with the listeners. We've been playing
0: Quiplash with everybody. We've been streaming it.
3: Yeah, yeah, and um, they just talk about random, random things of day to day life. And you,
0: you know what I love about the group is that like everyone, okay, everyone in there, we occasionally will talk about adult things, but we talk about adult things in the classic sense of it. When you, the word adult has been stolen and means penises, sex, vaginas. It's like no We can talk about things That adults do Which may or may not Include sex But everyone's mature Yeah Right Definitely Definitely it's So we're nice. not like
3: Posting pictures Of our wings on there
0: No In fact it's against the rules huh. Yeah Darn it I know But well, there's plenty of places I was, I
3: was prepping You know I was editing pre- I had like a mirror We've all
0: seen A double bubble <laughs> It's fine And I don't mean your ass Aww um, I know So oh Because it's all Housekeeping Don't forget to comment On the show site We've You guys have been Great about it Keep it up Makes it look like we have listeners, all six of you.
3: definitely. And continue to send us emails. We love emails. But also, um, what we really love is if people send us um, audio files, because it definitely helps us. So if...
0: An audio file sounds like this.
3: I like being... No! Stop!
0: (laughs) You thought you were going to get away.
3: Ah, One day. One day, Tugs. Um... So I lost my train of thought. I just wanted to let people know that they need to, um, yeah, for our next show, we'll be talking about, um, now I even forgot that. Role playing. We're talking
0: about the role playing and its influence on you and the fairy fandom. How important is role play to you? And what do you think it's had on the effect on the fandom at large? Oh, and we have something next episode. Do you role play? What is? um, Tuesday nights.
3: Oh, Tuesday nights. Tuesday nights, just is role Tuesdays. Tuesdays. Night, yeah, okay. Do you role play? Do you have somebody that role plays with you? Has there been some time that somebody has role played, and it was unwanted? Anywho.
0: Um, also, next episode, we will debut episode one of season two of Fifty Sheds of Gray. <gasps> It's coming. It's recorded. All it's over. amazing, and I'm really excited for everyone to start listening to it. Woo! So, yeah. You
3: put a lot of work into that thing.
0: <laughs> you know, we. So I was, I was at the recording, and it took about three hours of us drinking and just dealing with this awful book to get it done. But uh, there are some good gems in there. <laughs> I'm just, I'm telling you, I'm excited. So you should be excited. So, um, oh, well, and support us on Patreon. Please support us on Patreon. Uh, we have current rewards for stickers that say various fun things, like I like burying my bone. And uh, it's also possible maybe we should do some McRib rewards, like making certain people eat more McRibs. Or, McRib or it could
3: be like McDonald's something. Or, I don't
0: know. <laughs> Get a McShit. Okay, that's it.
3: <laughs> ew! Ew! Okay, well, this has been Rue.
5: This
0: is Tugs.
3: And you're listening to For, for what, what it's, it's worth. worth. Listening to? What?
0: You've you you are listening to. Uh, you have been listening to.
3: Oh, okay. You have been listening to for what it's worth. Yeah, there, oh, there we go. It's um, all going to be on the end. Man, anyway. we're just horrible.
0: I know. I wonder how long we can talk before they'll just shut off the damn thing. I
3: don't know. I wonder if they'll do that soon because, you know, I really have some cookies in the oven. I really would like them to leave.